Welcome to Hope City Church today. I know we've said that a couple of times, but uh, thank you for being here. My name is Jason. This is my I'm wife, Andrea. Andrea. We're the pastors here at the church and uh, just glad that we get to spend a little bit of time together talking relationships, talking marriage. We love to do that. Uh, thank you to Grant and Paige for that amazing story. Come on, give it up for them. It made us feel incredibly old. Especially me. Because uh, Andrea taught them in high school, but uh, it was still an amazing story. So um, thank you for sharing that. What we want to do today is this is our third week and our final week. Last week, we got to hear from my brother and his wife did an amazing job. But what we want to do today in this last week is, is we want to talk about conflict. We want to talk a, a, about those times and moments and seasons in our marriage uh, where we're really angry or we've been so angry that we don't even care anymore. We're not angry because we've been angry for so long. Or there's something about the other person that drives us crazy. And this is, these are normal things that happen. But we, we honestly, genuinely believe that Christians should handle that differently than people who don't believe in Jesus. That having the Spirit of God in our lives changes the way or should change the way that we deal with those things. So we're going to talk about that. And we've said each week in this series, as we've read Ephesians chapter 5, we've said, you know, that God gave us marriage. God created and defined marriage uh, for a couple of reasons. But one of the reasons it tells us in Ephesians 5 is because the way that we're supposed to love one another is a representation of the way that Jesus loves us. And so for Christians, again, those whose faith is in Jesus Christ, marriage is not just you know, sharing money together, sharing responsibility, having a house, having some kids. The way that we love and the way that we have relationship is a representation of the way that Jesus loves us and the way he wants to have relationship with us. So it's a big deal. So we want to talk about that. And to get us started, I want to tell you a story about a guy named John Gottman. I read uh, this recently about a guy named John Gottman. John Gottman is a psychologist and a researcher at the University of Washington. Uh, he's crazy in, in, in the most interesting way. Uh, he, he has written a, a 600-page book called The Mathematics of Divorce. Um, he, has, he has figured out a way to mathematically figure out what couples will be divorced and what couples won't. It sounds crazy, but it's true. And, and what he does is um, he has, over the years, he's watched over 3,000 couples have a 15-minute conversation and he can watch 15 minutes of a couple interacting, and he can predict with 90% accuracy, 9 out of 10 times, he can predict whether that couple will stay together or that couple will get divorced. And here's how he does it. So they created what they call the Love Lab across the street from the campus of the University of Washington. And you go into this room, and in the room, there are two just office chairs sitting five feet apart. And a couple comes into the room and they hook them up with sensors and electrodes on their fingers and different parts of their body to, to measure heart rate and sweat and uh, different, you know, things that they can measure. And then in the chair, they created what they call the jiggle meter. And that is letting them kind of figure out how much someone squirms and moves around while they're talking. And they come in and they take 15 minutes and the couple is instructed to talk about any topic they want related to their marriage where there has been a point of contention. It could be anything. It could be about who takes the dog out. It could be about what color paint the bathroom is. It can be about the budget. It can be about your in-laws. It can be about having kids or not having kids or making money. It can be about any topic that there has been a point of 
contention, and John Gottman and his team can watch that 15-minute conversation and nine out of 10 times predict who's going to get divorced and who isn't. If they watch it for an hour, they take an hour to watch it, they, it goes up to 95% accuracy. If they watch it for 30 seconds, it goes down into the 70 percentile, but that's still pretty crazy to think about. 30 seconds, seven out of 10. They can even turn the volume off, not listen to what you're saying, but how you're saying it and how you're feeling. And the numbers are still high. Now, maybe you're thinking, you know what? If I watched a couple argue, I feel like I could probably, <laughs> you know, pretty good, you know, kind of figure it out. But you couldn't. Every, nobody comes close to Gottman's numbers. It's crazy. It's why he wrote the book, literally, on the mathematics of divorce. And what he does is he says that, that in every relationship that there, 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 are, two, um, there are two flows or there, there are two... Uh, feelings or mindsets that you have. One, he calls positive sentiment override or PSO, positive sentiment override. And then the other, he calls negative sentiment override, NSO. And here's the way he describes it. He says, in every relationship, if you have PSO, positive sentiment override, what that means is your feelings for your spouse and your commitment to your spouse is such that even when they do something negative, you view it through a positive lens. So they interrupt you and they say, you know, or you interrupt them and they say, will you stop interrupting me? And if you're in PSO, then you go, you know what? They probably had a bad day at work. I did interrupt them. I shouldn't have done that. They, you know, it's okay. That's, that's, that's a reaction for, for a couple that is in PSO. But if you're in NSO, negative sentiment override, he says that you view positive things that are done through a negative lens. So even a, 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 someone who's trying to do a good thing when the relationship is in NSO, they, it's viewed as a good person doing a bad thing. Or if a, if a couple is struggling to make it and, and they're in NSO and someone you know, tries to do something to save the relationship in NSO, the other spouse views it through a lens of selfishness, right? This is... PSO and NSO. So literally, Gottman takes all the data, he takes the, the jiggle meter and all the sensors, and, and, and he creates a chart while you're doing this 15-minute conversation over a point of contention. And when the chart goes up, that's PSO. And when the chart goes down, that's NSO. But here's what he says. He says, over the years, really since the early 1990s, over 3,000 videoed conversations, he says, when, when, the, when the arrow goes down, when the chart goes down in NSO, 94% of the time, it never comes back up. And he said, he says that it's not even really when, it, when, it, when a relationship is an NSO, it's not even really about the 15 minutes. It's about how they view the whole relationship. And he's so spooky good at it. Gottman says when he go, he can't hardly go out to eat with his wife anymore <laughs> because they'll be sitting at a restaurant and he's eavesdropping on the, the, the couple next in the booth and he'll say to his wife, they're not going to make it. They're not going to make it. And, and it's because he is looking for something specific that you and I wouldn't look for. We would look for and listen for what's being said, but Gottman is actually listening for what's not being said. And he says over all the years and all the studies, there are four characteristics that, 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 that doom a relationship to fail. It's what causes a relationship to go into NSO and to stay into NSO. Four characteristics, four things that he's looking for that couples do in their relationship. Here they are. I'm going to give them to you. You ready? He says, defensiveness, stonewalling, criticism, and contempt. Defensiveness, stonewalling, criticism, and contempt. And he says when he spots any of those four in a 15-minute conversation, it's only a matter of time 
before the relationship starts heading down in NSO. And 94% of the time when it goes to NSO, it doesn't come back. Defensiveness, stonewalling, criticism, and contempt. But he says, even in those four, which by the way, he calls those the four horsemen of divorce, by the way. Mm-hmm. He says, even in those four, there's really one that's more important than those four, and it's contempt. He says that when he can spot contempt in a relationship, in a conversation, just a 15-minute conversation, that, that 94% of the time, those couples end up getting divorced. I want you to think about this. This is, this is not a Christian study. It's not based on the Bible. It's based on interaction. So even if you're here today and you're not a Christian, your face not in Jesus, even what I'm telling you now will help you before we even get to the Jesus stuff. But he says contempt is the kiss of death for the relationship. And contempt is more than anger. Gottman says that contempt is this view that your spouse is somehow beneath you, that somehow you are better than your spouse. And I want, you re- I want to read you what he, he says. He says, Feeling smarter than, better than, or more sensitive than your significant other means you're not only less likely to see his or her opinions as valid, but more importantly, you're far less willing to try to put yourself in his or her shoes to try to see a situation from his or her perspective. So Gottman says contempt, simply put, contempt is feeling like you're better than your spouse. Yeah, definitely. And we, maybe if you're hearing that, uh, maybe you're like me, you hear Jason kind of giving this research, giving these statistics, and you're thinking to yourself, well, I, I don't have disdain or contempt uh, for my spouse. I, I don't think I'm better than they are most of the time, right? Like we, if we were willing to be gut level honest, if we were willing to kind of do our own self-examination, our own heart check, I would be willing to bet, and I'm including myself in this, that there are areas where we would say things like, yeah, I, I am the harder worker. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't want to like make a big deal about it, but I am the better parent. I, I do know what I'm talking about. Or maybe it's even um, a little bit deeper than that, and maybe it's I'm the one who came from a stable family. I know what marriage is supposed to look like. They came from divorce. They don't know what they're talking about. I'm the one that's educated. I'm the one who went to school. I'm the one who makes better decisions. Is anybody with me today? Come on, this is every single one of us, if we're willing to look inward and kind of evaluate where are the places where I think I'm here and you're a little bit here. So can I tell you an example, Andrea, where we actually were arguing about this in between services? Oh, this is so good. Um, (laughs) One of the areas where I feel like you look down on me okay. is in the area of parenting. Okay. So we've talked about this and it drives me crazy. This is not the first time you're hearing this, but this dri- it drives me crazy when you make the assumption that you can't go out of town or you can't go have a girl's night because you would be leaving the kids with me. <laughs> It's a lot you know, of kids. their father. <laughs> we it's have like, do you know them. how to feed them? You know, <laughs> do, you, do you know where the, you know, and, and it's like, it drives me crazy because it's twofold. It's, it's you talking to me like, you know, these are real life human beings I'm leaving in your care. <laughs> and 
you also kind of assuming that you can't go do things or I won't let you go out of town or you can't go have your life. And I feel like I'm saying, go, 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 do, do, do. But, but, it, but you, you say it like, well, but if I do that, that means you're going to have to put the kids to bed. <laughs> and, and it's like, do you know how to do that? And it makes me feel like, I just, do I need to get a babysitter? Yeah. You know, like, I'm, no, I'm their dad, you know? And so this is definitely an area where I'm like, why? I feel like you don't value yeah. me as a parent. Yeah. We talk, through, we talk through that a lot, and it has to, I have to be willing to hear that. I have to be willing to go, yeah, I do, I do have that assumption. Okay, now where do we go from here? If I am presenting that I think I'm here, and a little bit you're here. How do we begin to close that gap? Because what that is, is contempt. If you're not quite sure like what that word means or where, yeah. disdain, thinking I'm better than you, having a kind of a little bit of a superiority, like, well, no, you know, yeah. I know what's going on, right? I mean, since I just picked on you, I yeah. will say one of the areas that we fight where you feel like I look down on you is like, I always feel like my ideas are better than yes. yours. Yes, we talk about this a lot. And, um, and then if I'm on my worst day being ugly, I'm like, well, I have a master's degree. So, you know, like this is real, right? These are where we, we sling shots at each other. I have the full-time job. I have the, I came into our marriage with a bigger savings account than you. Where's all our money at now? Right, we get so nasty. But the, the, the way that we have to be on guard is we have to go, how am I closing that gap? Okay, we've recognized it. There's contempt there. How can I, how can I, you know, make plans to leave the kids with you and like be like, he's got it. And if he doesn't, that's on him. You know, like we, we're, they will we're all gonna do be it. breathing when you get that's home. That's right. That's exactly right. If we know that research, science, background, experience tells us that this is the kiss of death, man, I want to know that because I want to know how to guard against it. Anybody else with me? The Bible has a lot to say about this. So we want to look specifically at what is the scriptures that we can turn to if I am starting to feel that contempt, if I am starting to have that narrative, that dialogue in my mind that thinks that I'm better than he is, or he thinks he's better than I am. We want to take a look at Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 14. Here's what it says. Y'all, this is good. Get, Get yourselves together. Here we go. All right. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. The next part says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. Okay, here we go. This is last of it. Sorry. You know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance. Man, that's heavy even though he begged with bitter tears. So these verses tell us two really important things about our relationships. Number one, it tells us that roots of bitterness grow in our relationship. Roots of bitterness grow in our relationship. And then the second thing this tells us, which is a little bit scary, is that there comes times when it's too late for an apology. It's too late for repentance. Now, that's not true with God. It's never too late for repentance with God. It's never too late to come to God. 
But in our human relationships, according to Hebrews, there can be such bitterness that even repentance, apologies, and, and forgiveness is it's too late. That maybe you would even say, I can forgive you, but we can't be back, we, we can't get back together. And what we want to try to do is, is we want to try to prevent that from happening. And it's interesting because Andrea and I, you know, we talked to couples who are about to get married, like Grant and Paige back, back in the day. And then we talk to couples who are like trying to hang on, like, like don't know if they're going to make it. We don't really talk to anybody in the middle that much. We talk to, I'm about to get married, which is just optimism and hope and denial and love and, <laughs> All mixed you know, in. like nothing they do bothers me. We don't even fight. We agree on everything. It's like, okay, great. And then, then we talk to the other that it's like everything they do bothers me. Everything they say. So we see the full spectrum of, I love this person more than any person in the world to I hate this person more than I hate anyone in the world. And what's happened is a root of bitterness has grown up in the relationship. And the Bible is telling us that this happens and it tells us we have to watch out for roots of bitterness. So how do we do that? Well, I, I put together a list when it like of like these are these are statements that I have said or I hear said or talking to relationships. The, these are statements where maybe there's a small root of bitterness beginning to grow. See if any of these sound familiar. Um, small roots of bitterness. Maybe one spouse says to the other, "I feel like you make all the decisions and you never ask my opinion. You always make the decisions. You never ask my opinion." This is one of ours we've talked about. Um, you get to be gone for work all day, but I have to be home with the kids all day. Must be nice. That's like a, that's a root of bitterness phrase right there. Must be nice. And it's always the other perspective. So if you're home, you think it must be nice to get out of the house. If you're working, you think it must be nice to be home. I work hard for my money. I wish I could spend some of it on me. Small roots of bitterness. Why do you always talk bad about me to your mom? I feel like you always talk, you ever walked into a phone conversation and you're like, I think they're talking about me, right? Uh, you're lazy. That's just a short, simple little, you're so lazy. You're so selfish. Um, I don't trust you. I wish we had more sex. Uh, I feel like you're always on your phone. You know, this is something we've talked about. It's like, why are you, like, you're not listening to me. You're always on your phone. This small little roots of bitterness. Um, I feel like you'd rather hang out with your friends than to hang out with me. Uh, Maybe, you know what, the kids need to sleep in the bed with us or the kids are not sleeping in the bed with us or the dog or whoever else it is. It's like this real root of bitterness. It's like before we had kids, this was our bed. Now it's their bed, small roots of bitterness. But then when it grows into something bigger, when, when, when couples are trying to see like, I don't know if we can make it. Is it too late for repentance? Is it too late for forgiveness? When it grows into something bigger, it, it starts sounding like this. You know what? It's just easier when you're not around. It's just easier on me and the kids when you're not around. Um, all you care about is the kids. I wish you gave me half the attention you gave them. I wish you treated me half as good as you treated them. I wish you listened, right? Don't tell me how to spend my money. Very territorial. Uh, and what about this one? If I had known... Whatever it is, I would have never married you. If mm-hmm. I'd have known how selfish you were going to be, I'd have never married you. If I'd have known you were never going to want to have sex, I would have never married you. My dad was right about you. My friends were right about you. These are statements that are showing that there is, there is this real 
root of bitterness that has, has grown up. And before you know it, there's a gap. There's a gap. There's a gap in your relationship, and the divide and the gap feels like the Grand Canyon. It feels impossible to cross. It feels like you'll never be able to work it out or recapture whatever, whatever you had before because nobody wants to make the first move or take the first step. If they'll change, I'll change. If, if, if they'll show a little romance, I'll be romantic. If he would woo me a little bit, I'd have sex with him. If, if, if they would just try, if it, and, and it feels like there's this gap. And the gap is not so much this. The gap is this, because you feel like you're better than they are. You're here and they're down here. You, you've tried to stay attractive. They just got fat. You try to manage the money, but they just spend it however they want. You're trying to be a good parent, but they're always gone. And every time you think about it, you get higher and higher and higher. You're more noble and noble and noble. And you're more smarter and smarter and smarter. And you're, is more smarter, is that how you say it? I don't think that's how you say it. But you're, like, you're, you're, you're up here and they just keep going down and, and they're just deeper, deeper, deeper in the hole. Everybody put your hands like this. Come, Come on. on, put your hands like this. Alligator mouth, you ready? Let's close it. Close it. Come on, hey. we wanna close the gap. Yes, so wanna good. Wanna close the gap. Listen, you're not as great as you think you are. <laughs> <laughs> and they're not as bad as you think they are. That's exactly right. You're not as awesome as you think you are. You're a bear to be married to. <laughs> You're complicated. But you know yeah. what? They're not as bad as you think they are. Come on, one more time. Put Let's your hands up. Come on, Let's close the gap. Close the gap. Come on, close the gap. That's what we are after, and that's exactly what Hebrews is speaking to. Uh, so many of you have jumped in this month to the group that we've been doing, Power of a Praying Wife. Uh, we've been meeting uh, Zoom on Thursday nights, and this is the center of so many of our conversations, and here's what I mean by that. We have been having conversations about, you, you don't know how hurt I am. You don't know, Andrea, you don't really know the whole story and, and, and the things that they said to me or the things that have gone on. And it feels impossible to close the gap. It feels impossible to take the first step. And here's what I want to say. You're right, it is impossible on your own. The only way, the only way for some of us to begin to close that gap is to invite Jesus, to invite the Holy Spirit, to do something supernatural inside of us that will soften us. And maybe your response to that is even, well, I've done that before. This has been going on for 25 years. We've been around it. I wanna encourage you to get your hopes up. Let's do it again. Come on, God is a redeemer. He is a healer. He has more for our marriages and our futures than we could possibly imagine. I want you to believe that today. We need to believe that today. So how do we close that gap? How do we take the first step? I'm not gonna tell you what your spouse should do. I'm gonna tell you what you should do, right? That's, that's who we are uh, in control of. I can't force him to, to really, truly, authentically change. But what I can do is I can invite Jesus to help me to make some of those changes. So here, what's, what's the responsibility on me? Well, according to Hebrews, the responsibility for my relationship, the first thing that we see, there's, there's powerful language here, like a sense of urgency. Right out of the gate, it says, work at having peace. Now, that's a little bit of a, a, like a paradox. Like, I'm supposed to work at peace. Yeah, we think peace is just like, if it's peace, it'll happen. Yes. We're, we're waiting for our homes to be peaceful instead of working for our homes to be peaceful. There is action, there is urgency that we have to own. What do I do 
to work at peace in my home? Well, I think the first place is that we have the kinds of hard conversations that bring about peace. Here's what I mean. Instead of saying, well, the way to keep the peace is just to not bring it up. And, to, and not rock the boat yeah. and just sweep it under the rug. And that's how we, that's how we work at keeping peace. No. Yeah, peace is not denial. No, absolutely not. It is, hey, what are the things that need to be brought to the table? And let's work through them together so that in the long run, there is tremendous peace in our home. If we're disagreeing about where the kids should go to school or how many activities we should be in or how much should go into savings versus how much, like where is the tension? Where is the frustration? And let's, let's work through those things. Now I'm gonna give you a couple of quick suggestions. You probably don't wanna have that conversation at 4.30 in the afternoon when everybody's a little bit cranky and hungry and you've just come through the door, you know what I'm saying? Right. After seven hours of NTI with Solomon, like I'm not ready to have a conversation about the hard things. But if we can say, hey, listen, after we put the kids to bed tonight, I, we need to have a conversation. Okay, now we're changing the tone. Yeah. Now we're making a decision that we're working at peace. Yeah. So our tone matters, yeah. our timing matters, yeah. and having a solution matters. We say all the time at our house, whenever you know, we're, we're fighting, we're fussing, we're in an argument, our favorite thing to say, and it's usually him, not me. I'll just throw myself under the bus. He'll say, do you, do you, do you want a resolution or do you want to make a point? I'm say that again louder for uh, people in the back. Uh, <laughs> we could just pray right now and go oh, home. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> say it again. It just, it'll just choke you right there. It'll just choke you. Okay. He, he will, we'll kind of, you know, I'm frustrated, I'm going off, I'm having a little moment, I'm a little frustrated that all these kids are in the house all the time and I just can't get nothing done, right? And he'll say, listen, do you want a resolution or you wanna make a point? Now let me give a little context because you can say that so bratty Snarky, that sure. it only causes more fight. Sure. It's after we've talked about it. Yes. Like it's not 30 seconds now where I'm yes. like, okay, do you want a resolution? It's like, we've talked about it, we've argued about it, you've said some things, we're working through it, I can resolve that for you. You know, but I don't have to. If you're really just wanting to get some stuff off your chest, right? that's fine too. If I just need to be a punching bag, that's fine too. <laughs> I just like, do, I, because I love you, I want to work for peace here. And so let's like, the, whatever gets us to peace, that's what I want to do. But, but we're both, I mean, we're both phenomenal fighters. We are. Because I'm, I'm a little more introverted, quiet, withdrawn, unless I'm giving a speech. And when I'm giving a speech, I am, I'm a talker. And she's passionate, and she's a teacher, and she's outgoing. And so we can really rant for a long time. And we're great <laughs> at it. And, and so both of us, at, will have, at times, we'll have to say, like, again, it, tone is so important. But it's like, do you, are you done? Like, have you said everything you need to say? And almost every time I'm like, yes, I've said everything I need to say. And here's the difference. Are you done? Yeah. Are you got anything else to say? Right? We know. And girls, ladies, women, we are great at cutting just with the t- change in our tone. It's like a, it is, we are a weapon we are wielding, right? I want to challenge us, myself included. Here's the difference. Have you had a chance to say everything That's a really that you important question. Do you have, like, have you said everything you would like to say? And almost every time I'm like, I have. I've gotten everything Except off my chest. Except for the fact that I really and then need to. I'm like, <laughs> and then you, one more thing that one I really, more thing bugs I really me. need to get. 
I'm not mad, but I'm a little mad. But for most relationships, in order to get to peace, you're going to have to go through conflict. Yeah. Because I use this example all the time, but it's the most prominent example. You've got the gap. I talk to the guy and the guy says, blah, 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 blah. I mean, just unloads of all the things he's upset about. And when I say, what does she say when you tell her that? He always says, oh God, I could never tell her that. Because if I said that, World War III, you're never going to have peace until you say those things. Both sides Walk get to say it. those things. I would encourage you to go to counseling and do it with a mediator yes. because that's going to help you a little bit. But, but like, do you think you're going to wake up one day and not feel that way anymore? No. You're, to get to peace, you're going to have to go through conflict. But if I love you and yes. I do, I want to work it out. The culture would say, you tried, they're awful, you know, they're a terrible human being. You're amazing. They're awful. And you know what? Just go find somebody else awesome because they're not awesome. Yeah. But the Bible says, no, be committed to this. Yeah. It's, it's important that the very next part of the verse says, work at holy living. Okay, so there's the key. It's not just that I am trying to have the world's standard of peace. I want the peace that Jesus brings. I want a peace that is, my home is holy and devoted to God. I want to work at holy living. That's on me. That's not on him. That's on me. Work at peace. Work at holy living. The only way that it's going to happen is when I say, God, what do you need to do in me so that I can walk out what your word is asking me to do? The second thing that Hebrews talks about, so we're working at peace. The second thing is you've got to give grace. And that, I think, is how you get to peace faster, right? I got to give some grace here. I've got to acknowledge that, you know, that probably wasn't what they would have done, you know, on on their best day. That probably wasn't how they meant that. They said that, yes, but that probably isn't how they meant it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to choose. And listen, to give something, when you give a gift to somebody, there's not strings attached. There's not the expectation, well, I I gave you a birthday gift, so I'm keeping, I'm keeping, well, maybe for some of y'all. That's the case. But the idea of a gift is that it's done graciously. Yeah. That it is done unconditionally. I want to give grace. A, a way you do this phenomenally, Andrea, is for years, my weekly schedule, Monday was meeting day. And so I had to meet with people back to back to back to back to back, dealing with stuff, talking, listening, active listening. Uh, which as an introverted person, no excuses, it's just the reality of science as an introverted person is a drain on me. Whereas for you, it's, you know, it's a party. And so (laughs) when I would come home on Mondays, you would give so much grace because you would say, hey, I want to talk to you about something, but I know you had meetings all day today. We can talk about it later this week if you want to. Or if I would go to my room or if I would be a little bit more out of it or zoned out or or tired, you would say, I know today was tough for you because Monday's meeting day. And that always gave me the margin. I don't get to do that every day, but that always, you always gave me the grace to come home on Mondays and just be a little bit checked out. Because I had to give the church all of my focus and attention for for that day. You always modeled that. And then I think another way that we've tried to do this, and we don't do it great, is summertime. Because you're a teacher. You know, we fight more in the summer than any other time. Because the way for every family is different. But our family rhythm is 
I saw you in the morning. I hugged you. I kissed you. Go do whatever. I'll see you later today. That's the best family rhythm for us. We don't do everything together all the time. We're not together all the time. That just works better for us. So in the summers, when she's home all day with the kids and I'm out, there is just tension in the family because that's not the way it is the rest of the year. And so it took us many, many, many summers, many summers to recognize we're fighting because it's summertime and there's tension. And so it's just grace to say, you know what? Andrea snapped at me, but it's summer and she's been home with the kids or, you know, NTI, it's been summer for 18 months, but like, you know what? She's not that upset. She's just aggravated because she's been home all day with the kids and that's not the norm for us. And, and it, 17 years now in, I hate when we tell stories like this because I don't want us to paint this picture of like, oh, that's so cute. That's what they fight about. We throw plates at my house. Like that, yeah. I don't, I'm not trying to paint this picture, but I am trying to let you know that like, if you're paying attention to how you fight, if you're paying attention to where the bitterness is, if you're paying attention to the conversations you have with yourself, eventually you get better. Eventually yeah. you get smarter. Eventually yeah. you understand, you know what? We always fight right before I leave town. Every time, like clockwork. Yeah. If I say, Andrea, listen, um, in six weeks, I need to go to do this thing. And I, I do travel a lot. And she'll go, hey, no problem. Great. And then a day before I leave town, it's like, did you not see that? The towel's in the floor over there? And I'm like, whoa. Oh, you know what? I'm leaving town tomorrow. <laughs> and there's something building up. And we just, 17 years in now, yeah, we know. know. I'm not belittling your feelings but I'm leaving town tomorrow and this is what we're talking about. If you're paying attention to yeah. how you feel, you will get smarter. And every single time, when we're working at peace, we're closing the gap. Yeah. When we're giving grace, we're closing the gap. When we're li- working at holy living, we're closing the gap. It also says in Hebrews, it says, look after each other. Oh my goodness. Like we have a responsibility. Like I have to be a protector of him, a, a safe place for him. Uh, like the rest of the world is, 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 is doing their best to kind of whip you into a frenzy. What's it like to come home and yeah. look after each other? Man, just hearing that phrase feels life-giving to me. Yeah. It feels encouraging to me. Wow, I, I want to look after you. That should, be, that should fill us with tenderness. That shouldn't make us like um, aggressive or angry or upset. Like that should soften each yeah. of us. The third way that it talks about, we're working on closing that gap. We don't wanna have contempt for one another. We don't wanna be agitated. We don't wanna be um, roots, roots of bitterness. So it says, the third one, it says, watch out for roots of bitterness, right? We know that in a garden, you don't have to plant weeds, They show up wherever there's a gap. They show up wherever there is that empty space. You've got to get in there and pull them out. Right? You get like and 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 sometimes I think we want like the quick solution, we want the roundup. But if you've ever used that stuff, man, it'll kill the good stuff too. The work is asking the Holy Spirit, where are the places and help me dig it out. I don't want to uproot the whole thing. Yeah. I don't, want to, I don't want to set fire to the whole thing and start from ground zero. Yeah. Will you help me to, to do the painful work of pulling out the weeds that have the potential to dig in deep roots yeah. of bitterness? Roots of bitterness don't come out with a trip to Hawaii. No. Another baby. Oh, my goodness. Uh, th- these are not the things that uproot bitterness. Usually, they, they, they help them to grow. 
Um, but one of the ways that you can spot bitterness in your life is the stories that you're telling yourself and the stories you're telling other people. And we, we talk about this a good bit. I'm a big believer in this, um, that if you will pay attention, you, there is a story that you keep telling that you have perfected. When you talk to your mom, when you talk to your girlfriends, when you talk to your bros, when you talk to your brother, when you talk to the guys at the course or the hunting buddies or whatever it is, there is a story that you have perfected. And you have villainized the people who are the villains and you've made the heroes yourself and whoever else the heroes are. And you've perfected the tone of the story and the climax and I know, and can you believe it? And oh my gosh, girl, I would never. And it's like, dude, she is awful. Like, why would you ever want to? And you know when you're going to get the feedback and you practice the story in your mind and you practice it driving down the road and, you, and, you t- and, and, and you've perfected the story. And, and that's the, the, the best sign to find the bitterness in your life is to, is to listen to the stories you're repeating. Listen to the stories that you're repeating. Listen to the conversations you keep having in your head. Listen to the imaginary arguments you keep having in the car where they're not there, but you're arguing with them. You listen and you're gonna spot the bitterness in your life. And it's all, there's always little roots you've gotta watch out for. Always little roots you gotta watch out for. And, and it's, you know, we, like, there are roots of bitterness that, like, tiny little roots that will show up this week in our marriage. And if we don't deal with them, when they're little, then eventually they're going to be massive and you have them too. And for some of you in this room, it, it is massive. It's massive. And, and you've got to work to close the gap. If you want to know the first step, here's the first step for me. Search my heart. Oh God. That's the honest prayer. Search my heart. Oh God. Maybe I don't see it. Maybe I am oblivious. Maybe I don't, I don't realize the way that my words have, have cut or I don't see the places where I am seeing myself as superior. God, search my heart. And scripture says, create in me a clean heart. In other places, it says new heart, right? Like we're trying to bandage up and we're, I know, I know there's, there's hurt. I know there's mistreatment in, in, in some instances, even hard, hard, hard things. But that's the difference when we invite Jesus to be a part of our lives, to be the center of our lives, that we don't have to figure out the solution on our own. We get to say, God, do something new inside of me. Yeah. So we, we've run out of time. We could talk about this at length, obviously. Um, but as we close this out, we, we want to give you three action steps, three things you can do. Uh, we always want to try to put handles on whatever we're talking about so that we can leave here doing something. And this is actually pretty new for us. Th- these, what I'm going to tell you is something that these are very fresh conversations for Andrew and I that we've been having because, you know, our, our seasons of life are changing. Uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, Corona, uh, <laughs> August of this year, all four of our kids will be in school. Come on. Come on. Come Thank on. you, Jesus. Come on. You're clapping, but we're dancing. Woo! And... Uh, that's going to change things a little bit. And, and financially, life has changed a little bit and um, just all kinds of things in our life. And so we're, we're having some new conversations now. And so uh, th- these are fresh for us, but I want to give you three things you can do to, clo- to begin to close the gap in your marriage. I'm going to give them to you quickly. Number one, pray together. Number two, sleep together. Number three, dream together. Yes. Pray together, sleep together, dream together it's really hard to be angry at someone that you pray with and you pray for. Yeah. Like it's really hard to hate someone you're praying for. And 
There's something powerful about praying together as a couple. And can I be honest with you, 17 years into marriage, even as a pastor, it's still awkward to pray with my wife. And I think it's because of the insecurity that I know she knows me. Like I can fool y'all, my spirituality can fool y'all a little bit, but not her. Like she knows me. She, we, we, we just fought. We, we just, like she knows me and here I am praying and I just feel like unworthy or unqualified, not with my kids. I pray for my kids before they get on the bus, you know, and I'm praying confidently. But then if I'm praying with Andrea, there's this insecurity. And you know what? If this is not something you normally do, it is so awkward. It's just awkward. But you got to own that awkwardness. And I encourage the guys in my growth group all the time. But, but guys, if you'll lead the way and just, you know, before bed or, uh, you know, before leaving for work or in the kitchen, if you just walk up to them and you just take their hand and say, hey, I want us to pray together. If this is the first time, they are going to freak out, okay? But just, sim- just pray together. The simplest words you know to pray, just pray together and pray for each other. And it will begin to soften your heart and close the gap. Even if you're so angry at one another, just begin to pray together out loud. And it will change the environment. It will change the situation. It will begin to close the gap. Secondly, sleep together. End the day together. Somebody's going to have to give on this one because, you know, you're opposite to track. So maybe it's a night person and a morning person or whatever. But, but don't, don't go to bed separately. End the day together. Can I give you some great advice? Take the TV out of your room. If you, but that's, that's a whole separate sermon. But, but like, like in the day together, in the bed, cuddling together, talking together, maybe praying together, maybe sleeping together naked. That would be fantastic. <laughs> like what, like in the day, in the bed together. And every 24 hours, you are closing the gap a little bit, right? And then lastly, dream together. This is something that we've been talking about a lot lately because I'm known as the dreamer. And so I kind of adopted that, but then that, that leads to the assumption that Andrea is not a dreamer, but Andrea has dreams. Andrea has things in, in her life. And, and I want you to speak to this a little bit because I think beginning us going on a day and saying, where do we want to be in 10 years? Where do you see your life in 10 years? Has really helped us to begin to close the gap in expectations and dreams. And it's something that you fought for. Yeah, we... Um, I- it's no surprise. I have changed careers in the last five years. I have uh, said yes to different opportunities and, and things like that. We, we have a, a big family. Like there are constant, like a fluid ebb and flow of how things change. And um, I think, you know, early on we get married and we were definitely on the same page. Like you're a pastor, that's ministry. Like I'm here to help you, support you. And then something happens like you're raising your kids and they're getting older and they don't need you quite as much and things like that. And you reach a season where you're like, do I even know what my favorite color is anymore? Like you, women, I think maybe can relate to this a little bit. Like you have been thinking about your family, your kids, your, what, what they need at your job, what your, you know, husband needs. And and you kind of go like, God, what am I, what do you need me to be doing? What do you have for me? And um, we, I started opening up to him about that, like, you have all these goals and you have dreams and I'm invited to be along for the ride, but can we start dreaming in the same direction together? Like, can we, and it was a huge. I was very defensive. What's yeah. wrong with my dreams? Yeah. <laughs> you just don't want to do my dreams? Like, yeah. Um, great and, dreams. And it took, like, it took a ton of courage for me to even, um, like, verbalize that. 
Uh, but it has been really, really powerful. And I'd say we're about two years in to trying to figure out what that looks like um, for us to, to dream together. And one of the simplest ways you can do this, it sounds, it's so simple. It's simple advice. Just go out on a date, you know, have a babysitter, drop your kids off with your parents or whatever, go out on a date and just ask the question, where do you see us in 10 years? Where do you see life in 10 years, 20 years? Like where, where, you know, we, we did this exercise and we realized like that when I turn uh, 50, yeah. It's going to be a monumental year because it will be 25 years of ministry at Hope City. Uh, uh, we'll have a, a, a kid graduating college. I'll be turning 50. Like we've a already kid graduating started graduating high school. Yeah, we've already started like... dreaming about that season of life. But then we're thinking about five years. We're thinking about 10 years. And I didn't even realize for most of our marriage, I was the one giving all the answers to those questions. And now it's like, what are our answers together. And, and it, that dreaming together will begin to help you close the gap. So there's a lot there we could say, but we just want to encourage you, pray together, sleep together, in the day together, and dream together. And it's going to be really hard to be bitter if you're communicating about these things. It's still there, but, it's gonna, but you're doing it together. You're doing it together. And so I'm going to ask Andrea to pray for you, to pray for your marriages, to pray for our families. Um, we love you. We believe in you. We, we want God's best for you and your, your family and your home. And listen, I feel like, you know, cult, culture, I feel like family's under attack a little bit. I feel like marriage is always under attack, but even more than normal, it's under attack. And nobody in this society, in this culture is going to be fighting for your marriage, fighting for your kids, for your family. With God's help, it's going to have to be you and this church. We want this church to be fighting for your marriage and your family and your kids. And so I'm going to ask Andrea to pray for us. God, I thank you so much for every family that is represented, whether it's in this room or online or listening later. God, we believe that being in a relationship with Jesus enables us to have supernatural marriages and supernatural families. And God, we are inviting you to be at the center of that. God, we don't wanna do this thing on our own. God, we want to do it your way. We believe that your standard for marriage, your expectation for relationships, God, is the best way. Will you help us to walk that out, God? Father, will you help us to work at peace in our homes? God, we want your presence to fill our homes. God, we we don't want to just experience you on Sundays. God, we want you to be at our dinner tables and in our bedrooms, in our living rooms, and in our homes, God. Father, I pray that where there is strife, where there is unforgiveness, where there is deep hurt, God, will you begin to supernaturally soften all of us, God, that we have a desire for forgiveness towards one another. God, that you are um, helping us to be bold, to have the conversations that we need to have. God, I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit that you begin to reveal the areas of bitterness inside each one of us. God, that we wouldn't push it off on somebody else, but God, that we would be humble enough, that we would be willing enough to say, God, what do you need to do in me? God, what do you need to do in me? Help us to be proactive. God, I pray for favor on marriages. God, I pray for blessing on marriages. God, help us to be an example of Christ's love. God, help our marriages to proclaim to the world the testimony of Jesus Christ. Father, that our marriages do look different 
Our parenting does look different. Our homes, our finances, the way we conduct ourselves in the workplace, God, that it is different because of Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.